hey everyone, welcome back to a new video. Before I begin on the stories, I just wanted to mention, if you have your own personal scary story that you would like to send me for me to possibly narrate here on the channel, you can do so by sending it to southerncannibal.com. So if you have a personal true scary story that you'd like to share, please consider sending it my way. Now that all that's out of the way, let's begin. I've seen a few posts in this forum about how it's dangerous to carry a can of gas in your trunk. First of all, that's just nonsense. Unless someone ruins you while they're on fire, there's much more risk of an explosion or fire from the gas that's already in your tank. Secondly, the dangers you're putting yourself in by not carrying spare gas far, far outweigh the apparent dangers of doing so. And now, I'll tell you why. I used to drive around the country a ton as part of a traveling salesman job. Before my retirement, I was an aluminum siding salesman, and although it was a tough job that kept me away from my family for weeks at a time, it was incredibly financially rewarding, especially in the northern states like Nebraska, where the winter temperatures could drop to dangerous levels. So as you might have guessed, I ended up stuck by the side of the highway one rough winter, when I then discovered I had totally forgotten to top my gas can up before my journey. I was furious with myself, but also pretty frightened. The weather was making a turn for the worse and it would be very risky to go looking for a gas station. So surprise, surprise, I was forced to hitchhike. The thing about the Midwest is that people can be much, much friendlier than out on the East Coast. Maybe it's those rural sensibilities, but I was on the side of that highway for a lot less time than I had expected. When a car pulled over to the verge, and a driver enthusiastically invited me to hop in, he told me his name was Connold, a name I had never heard before, nor since, and the vehicle he was driving was unlike anything I had ever seen before. He had basically turned the thing into a mobile home, and the car looked extremely lived in. There were laptop and phone chargers running out of battery attachments, all kinds of garbage dumped into the footwells and even a loudspeaker that was grafted onto the top of the car. I mean, it almost looked like a police cruiser from some post-apocalyptic future. Anyway, I've climbed into this guy's car and I explained that I need him to drive me to the nearest gas station and then back so I can get back on the road. In a raspy, gravelly voice, he agrees to help me out and we're on our way. But as soon as we're back on the highway, he starts asking me all kinds of probing questions about my life and job. When I tell him I'm an aluminum siding salesman, he starts accusing me of trying to trick sweet old ladies out of their pensions, all for paneling that would have had them freezing to death in the winter. Now, obviously I took serious offense to this. I wasn't some vulture who preyed on the weak. I took pride in my work, even if it wasn't what I dreamed of doing when I was a kid. Connell backed off a little at this point and actually grumbled an apology through gritted teeth. He told me he'd met a lot of bad people in his life, how he didn't mean anything by it, and how he was glad I was one of the good guys. We just dodged this conversational bullet when a gas station finally came into view. Connell pulled off the road, where I hopped out and headed over to grab a spare can of gas. At first, I figured he might just drive off on me, and I silently prepared myself for that to be the case. Only, he didn't. He stayed, just as he said he would. Yet, as I'm walking back over to the Connell's vehicle, something catches my eye that has my heart racing. I can see a flame inside the car, 
small enough to be from some kind of cigarette lighter, but still alarming, given that he's using a lighter in a fucking gas station. You want to talk about serious dangers? That's one right there. I crack the door, and I'm about to ask him what the hell he's thinking, when I see just exactly what he's doing with the lighter. Connell was burning his own hair. What the hell are you doing, man? I remember asking him in total and utter confusion. What? It saves money on haircuts, he replied. But here's the thing. I could hear the pain in his voice as the flames reached his scalp and fizzled out. Besides, you get it nice and hot when you're feathering it, brother. I was completely lost for words. He was literally using a cigarette lighter to style his hair. I asked him again just what the hell he thought he was doing, using a lighter at a fucking gas station. He snapped back at me, but I asserted that I was holding a gas canister in my hand, and he should put the thing away before I got back in. But that's not even the weirdest thing that he did. On the way back to my car, Connell began to complain about a pain in his tooth. I sympathized a great deal. My daughter had some dental work done that previous year, and it had cost us a fortune. That and tooth pain can be terrible at times. I began to relate the story of my daughter's ordeal to him, when he then began to growl and then pull over to the side of the road. He seemed furious, and at first, I was worried he was going to try and kick me out of the car, right there at the side of the freezing highway. But I never, ever could have anticipated what he did next. Connell reached over the driver's seat and pulled out the biggest fucking hunting knife I had ever seen in my life, holding the thing tight in his grip and gave me a wolfish grin. I'm not embarrassed to admit that I was absolutely terrified. The guy obviously wasn't playing with a full deck, if you catch my meaning, and I slowly prepared to throw myself out of the passenger side if he went for me with the blade. Instead, Connell put the blade in his mouth and I heard the sharp edge grind against one of his teeth as he bit down on it. I remember desperately wanting to ask him what he was doing, but the words just wouldn't come out. All I could do was watch as a few drops of blood bubbled up from between his lips and ran down his chin. He was ripping his own damn tooth out with the blade of the knife. It was horrific, and in the end, I couldn't bring myself to watch as he grunted and growled, his raspy voice grinding in agony as he dislodged a tooth with a sickening crunch. Like I said, I wasn't watching, but I listened as he spat the broken tooth out into his palm, rolled down the window, then tossed it out into the highway. You could have saved a few dollars on your daughter, just like that, brother, he said, in between spitting out mouthfuls of blood through the driver's open window. Again, I couldn't say a word. I was in utter disbelief of what I'd just seen. Luckily, we rolled up on my gasless car not long after, and as promised, Connell slowed to a stop, and he let me out, having helped me get back on the road. I thanked him genuinely, and all he did was let out this horrifyingly gravely laugh. It was truly evil-sounding, but honestly, I don't think that guy meant me any harm at all. He was just manic. I still think about Connell sometimes, and I wonder how he's doing if he's still living in that car and performing self-surgery, but on the off chance he comes across this post somewhere. Thanks, Connell. Just please, get some help. There are some nights in your life that are very hard to forget. I had one of these nights approximately 20 years ago. I was 17 years old. 
I was planning to stay overnight with a couple of high school friends of mine. Let's just call them Paul and Alex for the sake of the story. All three of us had relatively strict parents who really wouldn't want us out too late. And at the time, there was a 1am curfew for people under 18 anyways. Paul, Alex, and I decided to pull the old trick of telling our parents we were sleeping at another friend's house. We talked about how much fun it would be to have no set time to come home and to be entirely free for a night. I decided to be the driver that night. I had an older Z28 Camaro that was totally souped up as I could possibly get it. Well, on a 17-year-old salary, that is. It was in very good shape, and we figured it would be fun to mess around in it on that particular night. Finally, I picked up Paul and Alex. Now, I believe it was around 10 o'clock at night. We were off to see just where the night would take us. We drove around for a while, aimlessly. We stopped for some food, cruised the local avenue, and we had started wondering, well, where to now? The night seemed to be super longer than we anticipated. We then decided to drive to a neighboring state's tourist area. We figured there may be a few people still hanging out on the strip. We then drove about 45 minutes or so to the destination. I don't recall too much going on at the time we arrived. It was probably about 2 in the morning by then. We were really starting to get bored by 3 o'clock, but that was about to change very quickly. I drove down to the unlit side streets, parallel to the main strip area. Other than the illumination from my headlights and dim lights from houses or businesses that were set far from the street, it was complete darkness. Suddenly, I noticed a car that had pulled out of a parking space and was following me. There were cars lining both sides of the congested area. Now, the car had no lights on and was close enough to me to definitely ensure an awaiting problem. Alex and Paul glanced back at times. I remember all of us asking each other what we thought was happening. Keep in mind, we were all just naive 17-year-olds then. As I gazed through my rearview mirror, I noticed that there were actually two vehicles telling me, one behind the other. We had no cell phones back in 1995, but luckily, I had a pretty eager engine, and I wasn't afraid to use it. I thought it would be my best to try and make it to the highway to see if I could lose them. Before I knew it, the car right behind me started putting his lights on, then off, then on again. He actually tried to bump me on a few occasions, as I then started blowing through stop signs and lights. We were finally on a large main road that led to the main highway. There was a Jetta and a Cherokee telling me. The Grand Cherokee was side by side with me for a moment. I then looked over, and the passenger had the creepiest face you could ever imagine. A truly evil look to him. Meanwhile, the Jetta was now attempting to bump me at around 70 miles per hour. They were both trying to hit my car. One from the back, and the other on the other side. I then punched the gas to 85 to 90. I was a few car lengths ahead as we passed by two police cars parked side by side, probably in conversation. A police car immediately pulled out with his lights on. That was the only time I've ever been relieved of being pulled over. The two vehicles vanished into the night as the officer approached me. I told him everything. He was right in the middle of telling me that I was breaking curfew when that same Jetta sped by once again. He radioed to the other officer as he pulled the Jetta over in the distance. I remember the officer telling me a short time later, I guess you are right. Apparently they're known carjackers in the area. He then issued me a speeding ticket. He told me that I should have just pulled over and locked my doors and windows. 
I think that we were at the closest Denny's to our homes from about 4.30 until 6 a.m. So yeah, that was my first overnight adventure with my friends. To understand the magnitude of my story, you must know who I am. So here's a little backstory. I was born in 1954, so my formidable years were spent growing up under the influence of the 60s and early 70s in a very small town in upstate Ohio. Now, when I say small, I mean one light at Broadway and Main. There were about 40 businesses in the center of town. The drugstore soda shop was right on one of those corners. There was also the hardware store, small grocery store, Ben Franklin's, gas station, a barbershop, and so forth. We had Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, and Catholic churches, and just about everyone went to one of them weekly. You get the picture. It was Mayberry. We also had a library, a post office, and the jail. The jail was set up so that you could easily sneak right past the cop desk about nine times out of ten, so it was pretty easy to go see if anyone was in jail. If there was, we would run errands for them, go get cigarettes, whatever. We never even bothered to ask, hey, what are you in for? I was a really curious, free-spirited, and completely wild and innocent child. Well, a little bit later came the assassination of JFK, the civil rights movement, the Vietnam protests, and the hippie revolution, which I later joined in becoming one of the earliest hippies. So, maybe you can now guess where the story's headed. Hitchhike was commonplace in those years, so I did it a lot. For a little over three years, I had made many trips all over the U.S. and Canada, much to the dismay of my mother. Sometimes I took friends, and sometimes I went alone, always with no money, no clothes, and no worries. So many people tried to warn me of the dangers, but being very young and naive, and feeling quite invincible, I always ignored all their well-meaning advice. This wasn't my first trip, nor was it the last, but it is the most memorable and you'll now understand the gravity of the very close call that it was. It was June 1969. I was 14. I was spending the night with my friend Dina, who had lived in a neighboring mirrored town. I talked her into coming with me to San Francisco. She just happened to have a brother living out there that she hadn't seen in a while, so we headed out across the cow pasture to the highway and stuck out our thumbs. It never really took that long to get a ride, as you can probably imagine, we received many rides. A band tour picked us up on their way to a gig in Chicago, but we didn't really want to take that big of a detour, so we passed. I can't really remember who the band was. I remember another ride when we had gotten to a convertible Cadillac with four men, and we went to a party in Blacktown, Columbus, Ohio. We had an absolute blast. I never felt unwanted there or in any kind of danger. In fact, the nice lady that lived in that apartment gave me a shirt, which I thought was so kind. Now as an adult, I realize now she was just trying to cover me up. God bless her for that. The next ride was pretty cool, until he picked up another hitchhiker. It was a lone guy who just kept on nagging him about how much trouble he was going to be in if he ended up getting caught taking these two underage girls across state lines. I became very agitated and I told him to shut up. We should have gotten out of the car right then and there, but we stayed. 
It wasn't dangerous or anything, just really annoying. Well, the driver stopped for gas in Iowa, and Dana and I went into the restroom to freshen up. When we came out, the cops were waiting for us, and we ended up in the Iowa City Jail. I'm sure our parents were contacted immediately, although I don't really recall this. We were quite the attraction in this little jail. The cops would come up and talk to us and play cards with us. They would bring us cigarettes, candy, and even donuts. It was another Mayberry. I don't think we were there for too long before Dana's mom had driven out to pick us up. And after a conversation with her daughter, she actually decided to drive us to the rest of the way to California, which was just over 1,900 miles. It was unbelievable. I remember singing to the radio all the way to Nevada. I especially remember the mamas and papas, are you going to San Francisco? Later on, we had booked into a hotel in Reno. It was boring. This was not what I signed up for. I tried to talk Dina into just taking off. I realize now as an adult, what a terrible selfish act that would have been, and just how devastating that would have been to her mom. Luckily for everyone, she refused to do that. So I stayed. Well, we finally ended up in San Francisco, right at Hyde and Ashbury, near Berkeley College, where all the hippie action was. It was all so overwhelming to me. I was pretty cool for our little town, but this, this stuff was just way out of my league. And did I mention how naive I was? I wasn't really fully aware of things like drug addiction, but I saw it firsthand at Needle Park. Seeing everyone strung out on drugs scared me to death. I also saw other things too that I can't mention. Needless to say, I was shocked. I wanted to go home, and I never wanted to go back to California again. And I've never once been back, even to this day. Now, I don't really remember how many weeks I was gone on that particular adventure, but shortly thereafter, I was home watching TV with my mom. It was July and it was all over the news about the Manson family and the infamous murders. I then realized just how close I had come to being picked up by them and possibly becoming one of the family. What if I would have taken off on my own looking for adventure and I hadn't stayed with Dina and her mom that night, hitchhiking alone all throughout the desert, nine hours away from Spawn Ranch? What if that guy hadn't turned us into the cops in Iowa and we would have been out there, just the two of us? Most assuredly, I or both of us would have definitely gotten picked up by one of them. Later I found out that the family were recruiting people from Hayden and Ashbury, and also how irked I was because we couldn't lose her mom. Every day, I'm so thankful that I didn't get caught up in that. I was sure ripe for the picking, especially if they would have gotten a hold of me before I made it all the way to California. And all my adventures, I was never once beat up, raped, or murdered and I really do believe that I was under divine protection. Let me give you a little background before I start my story. It was right around the summer of 2014. Now I'm a female, and I was 22 years old, and I was going to be turning 23 that fall. I don't want to share my location, so I'm going to be making some changes for privacy purposes. I live in a small college town, I've graduated from there and lived there my whole life. There's a lot of history in this small little town, not to mention some drug dealing going on. But other than that, we don't really get anything crazy around our town, since it's really small. I worked in a gas station that was owned by my relatives. 
and my husband and I worked opposite shifts. I was always the early bird, so I worked the morning shift. I would get up at around 3.30 to 4 in the morning to open the store at 5. I was never really worried about walking out to my car in the dark, because I grew up here, and I never really thought I would need my guard up. I mean, I've lived in this small town since I was born, and I never felt afraid of walking out during the dark hours. I grew up living outside of town in the countryside. I always really loved being outside. Even when it was dark outside, I would lie in the grass and stargaze. When my friends would come over, we would always be playing Ghost in the Graveyard at night and doing stupid teenager stuff during dark hours, just messing around and having fun. We owned about four acres of land, and no one bothers us, so I was really used to being outside in the dark with no fear at all. Once I got married, I had moved into the city, which I'm not too fond of because I was so used to being in open space. I was never really a city girl, and even to this day, I'm still not a city girl. Now that you got some background, let's get on with the story. Now, this is going to be a two-part story, so bear with me, because both of these incidents occurred really close to each other. As I mentioned before, it's 2014 in the summer. I was getting ready for work like I always do. When I got into my car, I started pulling out of my apartment's driveway, and I had noticed a man walking down the road pulling a suitcase. As I got closer to him, I began wondering why someone's walking down the street pulling a suitcase at around 4.40 in the morning. I thought about pulling up to him and rolled down my window a crack to ask him if he needed me to phone the police or something, but I was also suspicious at the same time. I grew up being told not to ever talk to strangers or pick up hitchhikers, and there was no way I was going to let a stranger into my car. But I am a nice girl, and I'm always willing to help in any way I can but I wasn't going to do something that could possibly cost me my life. The reason why I got so suspicious is because there's a forest area nearby, along with some Indian mounds, and there's also a bridge nearby that hasn't been finished, so no one goes down there. Since I had just pulled out of my driveway, and I'm driving down this dim-lit street, my speed was slow. The man started walking right toward my vehicle, and I remember just flooring it. I remember staring at my rearview mirror, to see him standing there watching me. Right at the moment, I knew something was off, and I was so thankful that I didn't offer him any help. Some of you might think, oh, you might be over-exaggerating, but come on, why would this man come in my vehicle, and what the hell was he doing walking with a suitcase in the middle of the street at 4.40 in the morning? Once I reached my work, I'd called the police and reported it. I told them what happened and I'd mentioned that it looked really suspicious to me or that maybe this man needed help. Either way, I was hoping they would find this man. I was just being really concerned as a citizen. Plus, I'd been living around this neighborhood for about four years and I'd never once seen this man there before. The police told me they would drive around and see if they could find this man. Hours went by and I hadn't heard anything back from them, so I decided to call them back and ask if they found anything and if the man was alright. Well, they told me they didn't find him, so I just brushed it off and went on with my day. I mentioned this to my husband when my shift ended, and he was telling me that maybe this man came home from the airport or something. I didn't really feel like this man came from the airport, because there isn't one, and you'd literally have to drive about an hour to reach the nearest airport. Well, a few weeks later, I was talking to one of my customers, and I was telling him about this incident that happened. 
Now, I'm very close to my customers, and we're always talking about stuff. It's one of those small towns where everyone knows each other. Now, for some reason, this came up in our conversation. But anyways, my customer looked like he crapped himself when I then told him about the man with the suitcase. Well, he then started telling me about the bodies and suitcases that were apparently found in our county that we lived in. All of the hairs on the back of my neck stuck straight out. I felt my heart racing. My customer then asked me if I remember what he looked like. I told him that I didn't get a good look at him. Then my customer asked, What if that was the killer who had dumped those bodies down that rural road? Was it really him? I will never know. Part of me feels like it can be him. But sometimes I wonder if I was really face to face with the killer. Thank God that I didn't stop for that man or even let him come near me because who really knows? Now, let's fast forward to a couple months later. I was getting ready for work like I always did and I'd been heading out the back door of the apartment. Now, my husband and I lived at the end of the hallway so I figured I'd park my car close to the back door because I thought it would be easier than going all the way down the hallway to the front door. Plus, a lot of the front parking spots were always taken, so I figured this would be an easy access for me. I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I chose this way because whenever I'm late, I can just rush right into my car and save time. Anyways, when you get out of the back door straight ahead, there's huge pine trees reaching up to the sky, and there's a cement pathway that guides you to the parking lot. Now, the pathway is right next to the huge pine trees, and through those pine trees is the road. Now, let me clarify, it's really complicated to get through those pine trees. Like, you literally have to go through all those branches. Anyways, it was very early morning, and it was still dark out, obviously, and I was getting ready to head out the door. Well, the moment I opened that back door, well, straight ahead, I saw a huge silhouette figure of a large man marching straight towards me. I don't even hesitate to pull the door closed and rush back to my apartment. Now, the back door was always locked, so he couldn't get in unless he had a key. My heart was pounding so violently inside of my chest as I sprinted down that hallway until I reached my apartment door. Thankfully, I had the keys in my hand. I quickly unlocked the door and rushed inside, slamming the door shut and quickly locking the door. I remember throwing all of my stuff on the floor and rushing to the bedroom where my husband was sleeping peacefully at. My husband literally sat right up and asked if I was alright. I explained to him what happened and he literally stood up from the bed telling me how scary that is. I was literally just shaking at this point. Now, my husband is a pretty brave man. He's very hard to frighten. I felt pretty safe the moment he was awake. He quietly headed to the door to look through the peephole to then go see if anyone was out in the hallway. He didn't see anything, so he opened the door a crack and started looking around. Well, there was no one around. I was still shaking, even though my husband told me that everything's going to be okay and that he would stand in my back door, making sure I get to my car safely. I was so blessed to have a husband like him. Even though I knew he was there as I walked to my car, I was still absolutely terrified that the man would jump me. Thankfully, I made it to my car and pulled out of the driveway. As I was pulling out, my husband went back inside. Later that day, when my husband arrived for his shift, he had told me to park right at the front where the lights were and to never park out back again. I told him that was my plan anyways. Well, that same week, I ended up buying pepper spray 
just in case I needed it in the future. It's now 2021, and I still haven't used my pepper spray. Thank God. But I still want to warn you all, even though you might feel your neighborhood is safe, please take precautions. Make sure that you park in a lighted area if you're working early shifts or late night shifts. Always have your pepper spray in your hand, just to be on the safe side. And make sure your phone is fully charged, just in case you need to dial 911. And always, always watch yourself when you're heading to your car. Always be super alert, because you will never know if there's someone hiding in the shadows, just waiting to plan an attack.